sur mon lit à bouffer sa langue en buvant Prends mon whisky quant à moi peu dormi vide et bris Mais j'ai dû dormir dans la boutière où j'ai eu un flash En quatre couleurs Allez hop, un matin, une louloute est venue chez moi Poupée de cellophane, cheveux chinois Un sparadrap, une gueule de bois A bu ma bière dans un grand verre And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stoltzer. Appreciate you joining us on this Monday or whatever day it happens to be for you. I know it's a, it was kind of a, a fun day, but maybe a little rough in the end for John Paulson, who went to the Rams-Packers game. If you listened to last Friday, we knew that he was going to attend the game. And while it, w- it was a wild game, Packers jump out to a 10-0 lead. And unfortunately, uh, Ty Montgomery didn't give Aaron Rodgers an opportunity to stage a comeback. John, I know your voice is a little rough this morning. How are, how are you overall? I, <laughs> yeah, I want to apologize for the state of my voice. We figured we tested it out a little bit and figured we could get through the pod today. I'm, my grovelly voice is extra grovelly today uh, after trying to uh, help my defense get a stop at the stadium <laughs> yesterday. Uh, several stops, actually. I was in full throat. Um, it was a it was a very exciting game. I'm interested to see hear how you. Uh, saw the game in terms of how it played out on TV, in terms of the, maybe the noise um, when the Packers had the ball versus when the Rams had the ball and what you thought of the crowd. Like, I want to hear your take after I go on this little spiel, and then we'll talk about the fans maybe uh, in the second part of this, and you can tell me what you think the split was between the two fan bases. So let me just talk about the game a little bit. Uh, it was a great game. The Packers dominated the first half, I thought, did not put up enough points. Uh, in the uh, first half, they scored 10 points. They had a good drive that stalled. It was a third and five, I think, in the Rams' territory, and they did a little uh, deception run that got three yards, and they ended up kicking a field goal. I don't like the call. Third and five, you have the greatest quarterback ever to play the game. Just have him throw the ball. And if you're going to run it, then be prepared to go for it on fourth down. I don't know. And then the safety, the play call on the safety Running the ball up the middle, first and one at your own one. That's two points lost right there. You got to give up the ball. I thought Rodgers played fantastic. Uh, I, the defense played really well against a really good offense. I was very surprised that we were really even in the game at the end. Uh, and then Ty Montgomery obviously made a bad decision bringing the ball out of the end zone. I, when he caught it, I said to Max, I go, okay, nothing. My son Max was with me. My wife was there. I said to my son Max, okay, nothing stupid. And he brings the ball out. I, I take a deep breath. And I thought he went, I thought he was down. And all of a sudden, you get that. If you're at the stadium, you get that, like, late reaction from the from the home crowd when they realize that the ball was fumbled. And I heard that, and I was like, oh, my God. Did he just fumble the ball? Because we all know what was going to happen. Packers, Rodgers with the ball, 25-yard line. You need two points. Or, you know, you're, you're down by two points. A field goal wins the game. He was going to get a field goal attempt at least. Maybe Crosby misses it. Maybe he doesn't. But we all knew it was going to happen there. And for them to give the ball away like that. And then I, I read a story about, uh, from Michael Silver who said that um, Montgomery apparently was upset about being pulled out of a drive uh, earlier in the game, was throwing his helmet around or throwing a tantrum on the sideline. And one of the players that Silver talked to thought that this was a carryover from that. Like he was like, Jeez. I'm not, I'm not going to bring, or I'm not going to take a knee in the end zone. I'm going to make a play and show what I can do. 
And, uh, you know, apparently the coaching staff told him, you know, we're going to take a knee, we're going to take a knee. I don't know if that's true either because the way that Mike McCarthy answered the question when asked after the play or after the game was that we talked about this as a team. It made it sound like this is our plan if we are in this situation. Like maybe he talked about it preseason or or whatever. Uh, But I don't know if anything was said specifically to Montgomery prior to the play. But if if he went rogue and brought the ball out when he wasn't supposed to, then I think he needs to be cut. I'm, I'm a Ty Montgomery fan. I like him. I always thought he was a team player. But if this is what really happened, you can't you can't let that stand. I mean, it costs cost his team a chance to win. Yeah, you, you get you get frustrated. You know, you get you get the uh, emotional game. You get the emotional part of the game. You get the frustrations that that inevitably bleed out. But if you're somebody that's upset because you're pulled out of a drive. And then you're gonna you're gonna put your own interest in front of um, the team by by bringing out a ball like that because quote unquote you want to make a play then that's that's inexcusable now if it's Aaron Rodgers and he's making you know hundred hundred plus million dollars a year there's there's a lot of leeway there if you're Ty Montgomery and you're buried on the depth chart um, then I, I agree with you I think that's you know that th- you just can't have that on the roster why don't why don't you why don't you you know uh, juxtapose the situation to Todd Gurley at the end of the game where he's got a clear touchdown and he could go in, he can waltz in and he decides game's over. If I just get tackled and I'm done with this. Right. And he does. So that's, you, you look at the two situations. If, if this is true about Ty Montgomery, ultimate selfish play on one hand. And then on the, the opposite side, Todd Gurley's going down because he knows that they can take a knee and and this this thing is over. Now it's probably over if he goes in, anyways. But I just think it's interesting to look at the, the two situations. Yeah, and uh, I know there's fantasy fans that were frustrated with Gurley for not scoring the touchdown there, but Betting they never should have had. Yeah, I mean they they should have never had the ball back. So be happy that you got the extra points from the yards. Right. Take the knee, and uh, you know be happy that you got the number one pick in your draft, and you have Todd Gurley on your team because you're you're lucky that you didn't you. You avoided the Le'Veon Bell situation, for sure. Yeah. Um, a couple other things on the fans. Um, I don't know how it played on TV. Maybe you can mention it after this. But I thought they, uh, the Packer fans really came out in full force. Uh, I would say it was 65-35, 70-30, based on what I saw in terms of green and gold versus uh, yellow and blue. And then there was a lot of um, you know throwback Packer uniforms there that were you know blue and yellow, which maybe threw that off a little bit as well, and went even more... Uh, Packer fans there, uh, they always travel well. Everybody knows this. And uh, one thing I want to say to all fan bases is that when you go to a road game and you're supporting your team on the road, when your team has the ball, don't scream. We had a lady behind us with a Packer flag who, you know, the scoreboard says make some noise. And the Rams fans there are screaming or yelling, trying to bother Aaron Rodgers. And she is screaming at the top of her lungs every time Rodgers is at the line trying to make a call or whatever he's doing <laughs> on the final drives. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, shut shut up. I'm like, I'm not shut up. I was like, shush, shush. And she just did not. She looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> the job is when you have the ball, your job as a, as a fan base is to be quiet. Let your quarterback speak to his team. Right. When you are. I told Max, I go, a great rule of thumb when you're on the road is to do the opposite of what the Jumbotron tells you to do. <laughs> when the Rams had the ball, they were saying, quiet, please. And the Packers were all, the Packer fans were all screaming. And then when the uh, Packers had the ball, it was saying, make some noise. And obviously, 
uh, most of the Packers fans were being quiet. But, you know, people were standing up and clapping during, I mean, be as quiet as possible. Don't say a word so that Aaron Rodgers can do his thing. Right. I don't understand it. This happened, this happened in uh, San Diego when I saw the Packers play there. I guess people get caught up in the moment uh, and uh, want to make noise or want to join in the, the crowd noise because they think they're at home or something. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's, it's asinine. Well, and then when you, yeah. Yeah. And that, then that woman, that woman in section 218 basically cost you a win. Yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> but I mean, you know, there's another thousand of, of her making noise. It wasn't just her, but I mean, it was like around us, there were dumb, dumb Packer fans. And this is, you know, this goes for anybody that travels. Uh, there's some some dumb fans out there that are yelling when they shouldn't be yelling. So don't so don't do it. The other thing, Rams fans, you guys got lucky. I I know I know you think you like you won the Super Bowl by beating the Packers and you, the the Packer fans descend on your stadium like green and gold cockroaches, and they turn it into a, uh, a, a what's supposed to be a home game for you. They turn it into an away game. I know it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating being around us. Uh, it's a frustrating fan base to to be around. I understand that. But when you win, and you win because Ty Montgomery fumbled the ball, and you avoided an Aaron Rodgers game-winning drive, don't don't scream at families when they're leaving the stadium and say go home and all this stuff. My home's in Orange County. I live in California. I'm your neighbor. Don't let, let's just just be happy for your team. Let everybody go. We're all frustrated, Packer fans. You, you you won the game. Enjoy that. You don't have to kick a guy while he's down or kick a family while they're down or whatever. Kick a fan base while they're down. Let them, let them go. Yeah. Stay there. Cheer your team on. And be a little bit gracious in it, especially if you got lucky, which you did. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's league-wide. You know, and that's and that's in, yeah. in every sport. I mean, I you could probably play out that same situation if, if, in all fifteen stadiums on a Sunday, where you just get this group of fans that um, because their their team won the game, they also won the game, and they had a part in it, and they're invested, and in, you know they're they're going to be um, you know dickheads about it. So <laughs> it's just the way it is. But you know, I I look the Ram, the Rams fan base right now. They don't. One of the things I, I wrote about that game, and, and the Packers were one of my picks on Friday. I, I love them. I love catching. At the time, it was nine and a half points. It got down to seven and a half. So when Gurley took the knee, they actually, you know, they they saved my he saved my pick. But right. kind of to your your point about you shouldn't have had the ball there. I feel like I capped that game perfectly. You know, the Packers were in it until the end to lose on some fluke run when they're they're just trying to run out the clock. That would that would have been bogus. So. You know, I don't feel like I escape with some some sort of big victory. But one of the things I wrote about is that the Rams don't have really a home field advantage yet. Like, yeah, the Packers had to, had to fly, but they're, they're coming off their bye. That's not a true home field advantage. You've got the majority of fans there. I mean, the freaking field was, you could tell, it was USC. It was a USC field from mm-hmm. the night before. Like, you, you the, the Rams logo was bled over the USC logo. It just looked... <laughs> I mean, it's just not a good good situation. And I don't know here here in St. Louis, we're a little bitter because obviously the the, the way that the NFL and Stan Kroenke juiced the wheels to get them out to L.A. You know, I'm I'm speaking from a, a biased standpoint here, but like, dude, you, it's just it's an embarrassment right now. But your team, hey, they're undefeated. It was a good win, but you're also a seven and a half point eight point favorite uh, at home against a Packers team that's banged up. And you're right. I mean, they they were fortunate to to still be un, unbeaten at the end of it. So it's a really good team. They're well coached. But I did I did think that Mike Pettin finally showed up for the for the Packers. 
You know, that was that was a, a great defensive game plan there to get to get Jared Goff uncomfortable early. Now Sean McVay made his adjustments and stuff, but that was that was a really good game between one team that's a Super Bowl contender and one team that, at the very least, is going to be a wild card threat and could make a, a run if they're healthy and Rodgers is is doing his thing in, in in a couple of months. You know, so that's the way I looked at it. I appreciate that. Everything you said, I agree with, and let's move on because I'm sure people are tired of hearing me <laughs> grumble about the Packers. Uh, tell us about the music, and then we'll get into the, the pod. Yeah, that was actually a, a, a Belgian band uh, called Plastic Bertrand. Uh, it's a French title. It's called Sa Plan Pumoi, which means, loosely translated, everything's going well for me or this works for me. That's what the two definitions I was able to find. It's from 1977, 78, that range. Kind of an early pop punk song. It's got a little bit of surf rock to it. Uh, and I added it to the Most Accurate Podcast playlist, which you can find a link to in any of the podcast posts on 444.com. All right. League Sync. Don't forget, we now have an uh, iPhone or iPad app that allows you to set the highest scoring lineup every single week and then also pick up the highest scoring free agents for the week and the rest of the season. League Sync basically does all the work for you. It's free to download. You just do a search for 4 for 4 or League Sync in your app store and the app should pop up. Existing 444.com Pro and DFS subscribers, you get full access to the app's features. So again, all you do is, is download it for free and pop in your information to 4 for 4. League Sync sets, helps you set your lineup and pick up free agents that you know you don't know if, what they're going to score, whether or not that's a good play. Does does it for you, and then everyone else that doesn't have a four for four subscription, you get a seven day free trial. So make sure you check it out. Let's start off with injuries. There's only three that I wanted to discuss today. One is Tyree Kill. He's he's out two to three weeks with a strained groin. Talk talk to Tyree Kill owners about Watkins and Conley if they're still available. Well, I don't think Watkins is going to be out there. He's been pretty much fully owned all year, mostly owned all year, and Conley, he's. <laughs> Chris Conley has had opportunities to step up his fantasy game and you know boost his fantasy stock several times throughout the, his career, and he has pretty much flopped every time he's had an opportunity. He's uh, got 13 catches on 19 targets this year. I uh, did catch a couple touchdowns in week two and week three, um, but I, I don't. I think it'll probably end up being a lot of Watkins and a lot of Travis Kelsey picking up the slack for Tyree Kill. Uh, they've got some other players there that can make plays uh, in the passing game as well. So I don't see like I don't see Conley stepping into seven, eight, nine, ten targets because Hill's out. All right, Ronald Jones, the running back for the Buccaneers, he's going to be out two to four weeks with a strained hamstring. You got Peyton Barber there, and you've also got Jaquiz Rogers. I guess I guess if anything else, if nothing else. If you're constantly figuring out because you're in a bad spot whether or not Ronald Jones or Barber is going to be the best play, at least this provides some clarity for a couple of weeks, John, that Barber is going to be the lead back. Yeah, and Barber has, you know, the last three games, coming out of the bye, 13 for 82, uh, rushing the ball against the Falcons, 4 for 21, uh, 24 and a touchdown against the Falcons. Last week, week 7, you know, 11 for 30 against Cleveland, not a great outing for him, and then... Uh, bouncing back against Cincinnati, 19 for 85, and a touchdown, did not catch a ball. Kind of entering a tough part of his schedule here. He's got the Panthers, who are 10th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. The uh, Redskins, 9th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Uh, and then it opens up a little bit, week 11 and week 12. But we don't know if Jones will be still be out at that point. So I look at Barber in a two like a two-week span here. 
He's probably going to be ranked as a low-end uh, RB2, high-end RB3, depending on how many teams are in by and just kind of the state of the position. But I wouldn't get too excited about him over the next couple of weeks, although he should see 15 to 17 touches if, if the uh, Bucks are able to stay in the game. And then one more injury-related injury uh, item here for fantasy owners. Mike Evans is week-to-week with a leg injury. There was a, a blurb that Deshaun Jackson, who has been he, – apparently he requested a trade last week. The Buccaneers aren't going to trade him. They're, they're full in on him. Um, so why don't you talk about Deshaun Jackson and Godwin if Mike Evans does miss some time with this leg injury? Yeah, it's a big deal if, if he's out. That opens up a lot of snaps for both Godwin and uh, Jackson because they're both sort of part-time players. Uh, Jackson is playing 51% of the snaps. I think Godwin is a little bit higher, 59% of the snaps. He played 72% of the snaps, got seven targets. Uh, Godwin did last last week against, uh, or this week against the, the Bengals, two for 32, which is kind of a disappointing passing game given how well Jackson and um, Evans performed. But with, with Evans out, if he's out, uh, you're looking at Jackson and Godwin both being in the probably in the top 30, I would think. Uh, Adam Humphreys just kind of hanging out in the slot. They have to sort of sort out their uh, quarterback situation, though, because we have Fitzpatrick relieving Jameis Winston in that game. Uh, so we'll see what happens this week. I, I would assume they turn back to Winston, and that was a one-week thing. But uh, Fitzmagic uh, was back for at least a half against, uh, against the Bengals yesterday. He was, yeah. I mean, he, he wound up screwing a lot of betters too because the Bengals were up big and they were laying three and a half four points and all of a sudden here comes Fitzpatrick doing his thing so I wouldn't be shocked if they if they stuck with him I, I feel as though Dirk Cutter really likes Ryan Fitzpatrick you know there was the, the, after they beat the Saints in week one he took the podium and said you know I think he said Fitzmagic or hey how about Fitzmagic and then there, there was that consternation between whether or not it was going to be Fitz or Jameis Winston, and then Fitz kind of made it easy for him in Chicago to bench him and go with uh, go go back to Jameis Winston. It's just it's a mess right now in Tampa, but I I would not be surprised if Cutter says, you know what the hell with it? If I'm coaching for my job, I'm going to go with Fitz. Let's move on. We'll talk about fantasy quick hitters. Hey, speaking of uh, jobs, Hugh Jackson's finally done in Cleveland. He went three thirty six and one in his time in Cleveland, John. It was about time that the Browns, who are more talented than what the record would indicate, finally moved on from Hugh Jackson. Yeah, I guess he won't be getting too involved in the offense now <laughs> after threatening to do so last week. And that three for thirty-six and one—that's not actually not a bad receiving line. Uh, three <laughs> catches, thirty-six yards, and a touchdown. Unfortunately, no. the thirty-six is the losses, right? So that's bad. Uh, the, the issue here is Todd Haley, the offensive coordinator, and Greg Williams, who's kind of a nut job, in my opinion, <laughs> watching no, totally uh, watching the HBO show uh, on on the Browns. Um, they don't have like a clear person to put in charge, so I don't know if they just Williams coaches the defense, Haley coaches the offense, and uh, I, you know I don't know who makes the final call if there's a big decision to make, but. Uh, they're going to have to have somebody as sort of the interim boss, and um, I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, I don't think that there's going to be like a big surge now in the offensive production here for this team, although maybe Haley's hands were a little bit tied with, with Jackson there. I don't know. It didn't sound like it. It sounded like Haley was in charge of the offense, and it just wasn't producing well. So um, it should be interesting to see where this team goes for the rest of the season. 
Yeah, because both guys have head coaching experience. You've got Todd Helley, who was a coach in Kansas City and in Arizona, and then you also had Greg Williams, who was a head coach for a little while in Buffalo. Two, like, big-time personalities, too. So that's going to be a tough decision for Cleveland's front office in terms of, you know, who to put in charge. But you would think that if Haley was in charge, he'd allow Greg Williams to do his thing defensively and vice versa. But it's just a mess. And, and once again, Cleveland's searching for a, a new head coach. One more fantasy-related quick hit question that I wanted to throw at you. So Demarius Thomas believes that there's a 50-50 chance that he's traded before Tuesday's deadline. If he's dealt... What does it mean for Emmanuel Sanders? What does it mean for Cortland Sutton? And then kind of a, an offshoot here because Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton, Sutton is available in, in a lot of waiver wires, a lot of leagues. Kiki QT is still available in some. DJ Moore is available in some. So I, I know this is kind of a lot to get to, but just Thomas being dealt and then some of these wide receivers that could be available this week. Just your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I wrote up uh, these three players for SI.com, uh, waiver column that I contribute to with Michael Beller and you know these this is an interesting situation for for owners who are looking for receiver help this week because there are three that are looking at an uptick in uh, usage here but things sort of have to happen for each of them uh, Sutton dealing with uh, I mean he's just been kind of the third wheel there uh, he was leading the team in air yards early in the year so they were intending to get him more involved early wasn't able to make some plays on on some of the deep balls that he was getting, uh, but lately has found the end zone a couple times and uh, is playing pretty well. If Thomas, I think the reason that they're talking about trading Thomas is because they like Sutton a lot. Uh, and if he is traded, then all of a sudden you have Sutton as the number two option in that passing offense. And I think he becomes an every week starter, but he he needs that Thomas trade to happen. And it's going to be tough to trade Thomas because he's uh, being paid a lot of money. And I don't know if a team is going to want to take that on. Uh, given his production this season. So that's a, a, definitely a situation to watch. If things sort of stay in the status quo, then I don't know that Sutton's going to be a, an every-week starter. He's more of a spot start maybe uh, if there's a nice matchup or if Th- Thomas is dinged up or something. Uh, Kiki Cutie uh, should see number two-type targets once he's back from his hamstring injury, but he's been dealing with his hamstring injury since August. The good news is that the latest on it is that it wasn't a real big aggravation of it, so he should be back quickly. Uh, but, you know, these soft tissue inju- injuries tend to linger, and I'm a little bit worried that he's not healthy this week or the next week. But down the stretch, I think he's a really interesting uh, PPR option. He's not going to replace Fuller's yardage and touchdown production, but he's going to catch a lot of passes and should see a lot of targets uh, as the number two option to DeAndre Hopkins. And then DJ Moore... The reason he was playing a lot this week is because Torrey Smith was out with a knee injury. There's no structural damage to, to Smith's knee. So what happens when he's healthy? Uh, are, the, are the Panthers going to go back to a, to Smith playing ahead of their number one pick, uh, their first-round pick, DJ Moore? Or did his uh, game this week earn him enough snaps and more time to, to maybe move in as a starter there alongside uh, Devin Funches? So all three players are compelling pickups at this point. They both, all three have upside. I think Sutton has the most upside if, if Thomas is traded. Uh, but that's also a big thing that has to happen for him to, to realize that upside. And then QT should step in a lot of targets and then more, who knows how they view him. They've been talking about getting him more involved, but is it really going to happen? So a lot of question marks about these guys, but they're all worthy of pickups. I would try to get all three and, I think the the prices I would put on them in a, in a budget standpoint would be pretty close because I don't 
I think they're pretty close in terms of uh, fantasy value heading forward. Let's go over some RBBC situations. We'll start off the 49ers. Matt Breida rushed for a team high 16 times for 42 yards. He's been banged up. You've got um, uh, Alfred Morris, who really wasn't involved that much, but he did rush six times for 28 yards. And then Raheem Mossert rushed two times for 18 yards. It, it this, this whole 49ers backfield situation when, when it comes to Breida being banged up but still playing, and then also both Mossert and then Morris, uh, Morris still being in the mix, it's just a, an ugly spot for fantasy owners to try to sift through each week. Yeah, and we, we sort of thought that Mostert was ahead of Morris, but then, you know, Morris outtouches him 6-2 to two, uh, with Breda back. Uh, and, you know, Breda's production was not good against a really bad rush defense, uh, the, the Cardinals. They've been giving up tons of rushing yards, and, you know, 42 yards and 16 carries is not pretty. Uh, Morris more effective 28 on six and then a monster to 18 on two carries. So I think what this tells me is that this is Brita's um, backfield. Uh, he wasn't even supposed to play this week and he did and was supposed to be limited and he ended up out touching everybody 16 to six, 16 to two. So I think this is definitely his backfield, just a matter of uh, whether or not he's going to be healthy. Uh, Bears, let's talk about them. The, Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. Cohen got the start, the scoring started for the Bears yesterday on a long screen pass. They went untouched. I mean, it was either the the worst breakdown that you'll see defensively, or the greatest you know play design. Either way, Cohen had an easy touchdown on a, on a screen pass, forty yards. He rushed five times for forty yards, and then again caught that seventy yard touchdown pass. Um, Jeez, uh, Jordan Howard. Excuse me, Jordan Howard. Twenty two carries, eighty one yards, and a touchdown. This was his best game in a while. Are both both guys startable at this point? Both RB twos. <clears throat> Well, I think it's going to depend on the game flow in their particular that particular week. Uh, Howard saw all the all this work because they were dominating the Jets, and this was a, a game where the the Bears were you know wanting to work the clock and kind of run out the clock on the on the, in the game. And Cohen still being out out touched twenty two to six, but still outscoring Howard in both standard and PPR is pretty pretty amazing. Um, and I think he's a pretty safe play in PPR formats. Although if he doesn't score that touchdown, if it was, if it goes for like a 15 yard gain, uh, then he's looking at a very different fantasy day. So he's going to, he's going to be a risky, uh, start in games that the bears are expected to dominate like next week against the bills. Uh, but I think Howard will be a guy who can get you 15 to 20 carries in, in games like that, where the bears are going to be favored. The Eagles won in London, and they used all three of their running backs. Wendell Smallwood rushed eight times for 24 yards. He also caught two of three targets for 42 yards and a touchdown. Corey Clement, he only rushed four times, only for six yards. He caught one pass, went backwards for a yard. And then Josh Adams rushed nine times for 61 yards, caught his only target for six yards, but he also put one on the ground that, fortunately for him, he was ruled down by contact, but he was close. Looks like they're going to use all three backs, and if you got Corey Clement thinking that he's going to be the number, the, the lead back here, at least yesterday, that was that was disproved in London. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's obvious from looking at the last two weeks. You've got 21 touches for Smallwood, 15 for Clement, and uh, 14 for Adams, and Adams out touching uh, Clement 10 to five in London. I think they're going to go with the hot hand on any given. Any given uh, week, uh, you know, Adams was running the ball pretty well, nine for sixty-one. Uh, Smallwood was okay, eight for twenty-four, but uh, you know, Clement was struggling, four four carries for six yards. 
Uh, Smallwood seems to me to be the safest play now in this backfield, and I don't know that it's going to be particularly safe in any given week, but uh, he, he looks like he's going to has the best chance to uh, lead the team in, in touches get, coming into any given week, but they're going to use all three, and if somebody starts busting runs, they're going to play. So this is really a situation to avoid, but Smallwood I think is your is your RB3 flex type that you can plug in if you need to. Uh, let's go on the other side of that same game. We'll talk about Jet the Jaguars. We got our first look at Carlos Hyde. He rushed six times for only 11 yards. TJ Yeldon was still the, the main back. He hauled in seven of nine targets for 83 yards. He only rushed twice, though, so maybe we're looking at a situation that's a Leonard Fournette gets back where Carlos Hyde is the uh you know the uh in between the tackles runner and then tj yeldon involved in the passing game although with blake bortles at at the helm there were so many times where they got in a situation where they were third and two and i I was expecting them to run the football or or even a second and one they're they're picking up big chunk yards on first down and then they get in uh low situation you know low yardage situations and they still had blake bortles throwing i don't i don't really understand what the game plan is for the jaguars but Talk to us about the the Carlos Hyde Yeldon dynamic right now. Yeah, I had Yeldon uh, ranked ahead of Hyde heading into this week, and I I felt like he's you know Yeldon had played pretty well uh, on the year, especially in terms of fantasy production. Uh, but this was a game that that kind of favored his skill set as the receiver. Uh, you know, they weren't going to be able to run the ball very much on the Eagles. The Eagles have a very good rush defense. It's not as good this year as it was last year, but. I kind of felt like Hyde would struggle if he did carry the ball, and they only gave it to him six times, and he ended up with 11 yards. So it wasn't a pretty output for him. And then Yeldon started to get involved as a receiver with the seven for 83 in the passing game. So I think you're waiting for Frenette to come back. Uh, and in the meantime, it's sort of a, a game flow situation between Yeldon and Hyde, and that makes both of them pretty dicey plays. All right, the Jets. Isaiah, Isaiah Crowell rushed 13 times for 25 yards. You also had Trent, Trenton Cannon. Rushed six times for 12 yards. He caught three passes on four targets for 12 yards, but neither back was able to do anything against that Chicago front that didn't even have Khalil Mack. Yeah, uh, Crowell, I think his um, his outlook is looking up, though. This was a bad matchup against the Bears. I thought he would do more than what he did. He ended up with the 13 carries, but wasn't able to run the ball more than two yards per carry, so that was pretty rough. But... You know, next week they've got the Dolphins, 30th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. The following week they've got uh, the Bills, uh, 27th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Then he got a bye. Then the, then the, the Patriots, 21st. Uh, and down the stretch, uh, the Bills, or I'm sorry, the Bills again, 27th, Houston, 14th, Green Bay, 16th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. So, you know, you're looking at games where they're going to be more competitive they might be able to feed it to him 15 to 20 times i think he's going to be a pretty strong rb2 in standard formats you've got elijah mcguire coming back probably this week i think his his first eligible to be activated this week and he's been practicing and he was uh the player that one of the beat writers manish meta said that would likely be the third down back coming into the season back in august uh, so he may end up taking some of that, uh, the passing down work. So Crowell probably won't have as much value in PPR formats as he does in standard. Your Packers, Aaron Jones rushed 12 times for 86 yards and a touchdown, but Mike McCarthy continues uh, to to get both Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery in the mix. Montgomery rushed twice for six yards. Williams rushed four times for nine yards and a touchdown. Jones is the the back, I guess, to own, but Mike McCarthy continues to give those other guys work. Yeah, 14 touches for Jones this week. Uh, he had a really nice 33-yard 
touchdown run. Uh, it was coming at us. We were toward, we were in that end zone at that end of the stadium. Uh, he really bobbed and weaved and uh, found the end zone, and it was a pretty sweet run. Uh, Jamal Williams got the goal line carry early in the uh, first half uh, after the Jimmy Graham catch set that up. It was a touchdown that got caught, called back, of course. Uh, so this this situation partly depends on what they do with Ty Montgomery. If they end up cutting him, it's going to clear things up pretty quickly. Uh, the snaps will be divvied up between Jones and Jamal Williams, and it will enhance both their values. But really, Jones should be getting 70 80% of the carries. Uh, Williams should be coming in on third down to uh, pass block if they're worried about the pass rush, and he's a pretty good receiver. Jones is okay as a receiver, but not great. Uh, and you know Montgomery is still on the team uh, heading into next week. It's I, I you know he didn't do anything to earn any more playing time. Maybe his snaps are scaled back a little bit further, uh, but he is a you know he is an asset. And you know looking at it from a pure football standpoint, he's a dual threat running back who's pretty pretty decent in all areas of the game and you know it's nice to have that on your team but if he's going to be a source of uh you know locker room problems or is going to be a distraction and I think you got to cut bait if you, especially if he was uh upset about playing time and ended up taking the ball out of bounds after fumbling but we already talked about that all right uh, a couple more here let's do the Raiders Doug Martin so this is the first chance that we got to see Doug Martin as the number one back there so he collected 72 yards on 13 carries he also caught two passes for 17 yards and really he while he did have you know 72 yards he he was he looks ineffective uh and then you got Jalen Rashard who who only carried carried the rock two times he got 14 yards he also caught all eight of his targets for 50 yards. So if I'm if I'm handicapping this situation, John, it looks like Jalen Richard is the better bet, fantasy. Yeah, he's he's better, definitely better in PPR. They were pretty close in standard due to the receiving yardage for for Richard. And and are the are the Raiders going to be in a game where they can they can lead, you know hold the lead and have Martin run on the field and, you know run them 15 to 20, 15 to twenty times? I mean, the chances of that happening uh, remainder of the season seem less likely than they're going to be playing catch up. So I would, I would definitely favor Richard. This, this played out kind of the way that we thought it would with Martin getting most of the carries and Richard getting most of the catches. All right. Uh, Redskins, two more here. Redskins and then Seahawks. Adrian Peterson rushed 26 times for 149 yards and a touchdown. He also caught a seven yard score. So he, you know what you're going to get out of him. He moving forward that he's startable. Chris Thompson rushed three times for 13 yards. He caught two of three targets for nine yards. I would assume that he's banged up, but then again, they're, you know, Jay Gruden seems to be going with a run-heavy offense, and that that suits Adrian Peterson. So, what's your advice for Chris Thompson owners? Well, this was a game where they led the whole way and were able to run the ball as much as they wanted to. If they fall behind, then I think Thompson plays more snaps. Uh, he played twenty-six snaps to Peterson's forty-one, so he was on the field. Uh, just wasn't getting the work in the passing game that he usually does, and part of that is due to the fact that they were leading and not having to throw the ball as much as uh, they had in previous games. So this might be a situation where you're looking at the the line and whether or not the Redskins are likely to lead and, and play in Peterson or Thompson based on that. One more, Seahawks. Chris Carson rushed 25 times for 105 yards in that victory over the Lions. He also caught two passes for 19 additional yards. And then you had Mike Davis rushing 10 times for 33 yards and adding a two-yard reception. Rashad Penny didn't even touch the ball, and I don't even think he played played an offensive snap yesterday. So 
that's the Seahawks situation. It looks like it's Chris Carson's backfield, but Mike Mike Davis is going to get in the mix. This uh, maybe it's clearing up. We're looking at the car, you know, Mike uh, Chris Carson's. I was going to say Mike Carson, Car- uh, Chris Carson's backfield. Uh, great matchup against the Lions this week, and you know, down the stretch they've got some good matchups or decent matchups, but uh, they've got a few bad ones too uh, in terms of uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So. But you, you, the the value here is having uh, a guy getting fourteen or nineteen carries in week five, fourteen carries in week six, twenty five carries in week eight. He's also catching the ball a little bit. Uh, Mike Davis, just kind of a pure backup role right now, but they're really trying to run the ball quite a bit. And uh, you know, th- thirty seven running back carries against the Lions uh, kind of proves that. So it looks like Penny's time is over for now, and uh, Carson is the uh, RB one moving forward. All right. Monday night football matchup. Just want to discuss some injury situations. Sony Michelle, he's been downgraded to out, so he will not play against the Bills. Rob Gronkowski, though, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, he is expected to play. He's been dealing with the back injury that held him out of the game last week against the Bears. Looks like it's going to be a, a James White type of night, and I, I'm sure that the Patriots are going to be passing the ball plenty without their in between the uh, tackles runner and Sony Michelle. I'm interested to see what they do there. If if Kenjin Barner, who's kind of built the same way uh, James White is, if they feed him the ball, uh, they did last year. They were okay with Deion Lewis being that primary ball carrier, so maybe they will. Kenneth Farrell's on the practice squad. If they promote him, he's he might be a factor there, and there might be some carries available for these guys in this game against the Bills if they if the Patriots jump out to a lead and just want to run the ball in the second half. So that'll be interesting, and then. You know, I had some people asking me about Rob Gronkowski. Should they bench him uh, for options that they had on their bench? And I wouldn't. Uh, I think that decision's already been made. But if you look at, I, I tweeted this out yesterday. If you look at what he did against Buffalo in Buffalo uh, since entering the league, uh, four catches for 54 yards and two touchdowns, seven for 109 and two touchdowns, five for 104 and a touchdown, uh, seven for 94, uh, seven for 113 and a touchdown, five for 109 and a touchdown, and nine for 147 uh, over his whatever seven, eight years career. 6.3 catches for 104 yards and a touchdown on average in Buffalo. Why is this interesting? Because he grew up in the suburb, Amherst, uh, suburb of Buffalo, so he likes to play in front of his uh, hometown fans or whatever. Uh, so if if he ends up being inactive, I think Charles Clay is probably available on most waiver wires. Owners could pick him up and plug him in, maybe get a few points out of him. Who knows? Maybe he catches a touchdown this week. All right, and then finally the Bills. Adam Schefter reports that LaShawn McCoy has been cleared from concussion protocol. The exception is uh, – the, the expectation, excuse me, is that, that he's going to play. Is he an RB2, assuming he does? Yeah, low-end RB2. I think he could get game float out, uh, but he can catch the ball. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they fall behind. And the Chris Ivory got quite a few touches last week, even though they got creamed by the, the Colts. So the Bills should be able to stick with McCoy enough to get him some fantasy, fantasy value tonight. All right, that's John Paulson. You can follow him on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can follow me as well at Anthony Stalter. We'll be back on Friday where we discuss the latest injury situations impacting Week 9, and John will have some sneaky starts for you as well. Until then, good luck tonight if you got some players going, and we will see you on Friday's edition of the Most Accurate Podcast. Allez, hop, 
Come on. 